0: Hello, and welcome to the Gundam Sentinel Podcast. My name is Gordon, and I'll be your host of this limited run series. Gundam Sentinel is a side story set in the Universal Century timeline of Moble's Gundam. I've always loved this IP, and I wanted to share my love analysis of this with you. This does, however, contain spoilers for other works in the Universal Century timeline, so be warned. I hope you guys enjoy. So let's get into it. The reason why I'm doing this is because I truly love Gundam Sentinel. It is one of the best side stories I think that was ever made. Unfortunately, it was never animated, but a lot of products such as models, uh, books, and magazines were made from this material. I do love this intellectual property and wish it would be animated. This obviously is very much in the weeds and meant for fans of the Universal-Centric timeline of Mobile Suit Gundam. If you've not watched shows like Zeta Gundam or Double Zeta, Shara's Counterattack, or Gundam Unicorn, then at least some of what will be covered in this podcast will serve as a spoiler, so once again, please be warned. Now, of course, several other dedicated podcasts are doing a deep dive examining the entire franchise of Gundam, which I enjoyed, and actually served as inspiration for this podcast. For example, Nina and Tom's Mobile Suit Breakdown, Jeff and Keenan's Gun guys, among others, are all amazing, and are doing a fantastic job analyzing and describing everything within the Gundam franchise. Unlike the aforementioned podcast, this podcast will only describe the Gundam side story, which was never animated, but served as inspiration for other shows that will later become animated. So unlike other podcasts you may have listened to about Gundam, there is no anime to watch concurrently. I will try to provide images on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter, but clearly it's not the same. I'll also try to describe the story of this IP and how it fits into the context of the stories seen in the franchise. I'll also try to look at the designs of major mecha designs featured in the series including the Zeta Plus, Superior Gundam, and Zeku Eins. If you haven't figured it out, I truly do love this. The mecha designs were amazing. In particular, some of my all-time favorite mobile suit designs from any Gundam series came from this particular product, including the Superior or Extraordinary Superior Gundam, the Zeta Plus, and Zayko Eins. The Zeta Plus actually would even become animated and featured in the Gundam OVA and movies. Also, some of the technology featured in later projects, such as the Incon System, seen in Gundam Narrative, were first described in Sentinel. Both Federation and New Decide's characters were actual adults and trained soldiers, and not just teenagers who were conscripted to fight in mobile suits. So I want to take the time to shout out Nina and Tom, who produced Mobile Suit Breakdown, which has done a fantastic job doing a complete and scholarly examination of the entire franchise. Although the production quality analysis won't even come close, I figured I should throw my hat into the podcast game and talk about Sentinel, which I love so much. So without further ado, let's get into it. It is Universal Century 0085. Tosh Cray and Stoll Mannings were lying on real grass on a Federation military outpost in a space colony in the Sidewind Cluster. A pair of GM mobile suits stood at the maintenance facility nearby. Stoll was impressed with the grass being real and noted it took five years for the colony to be rebuilt following the horrors of the one-year war. He grabbed a handful of grass and tossed it at Tosh was asleep. Tosh did not seem impressed by this and said it paled in comparison to the grass you'd find on Earth. The two men then talked about Tosh's upcoming transfer to the Instructor Corps. When Tosh asked Stoll about whether he applied to it as well, he reminded him that he is in fact an amputee with an artificial right leg. Craig, thinking about this, was thankful that his life was saved, but it did in fact cost manning his right leg. The two men then parted, not aware that the next time they would meet. Would be under vastly different circumstances. The same time in lunar orbit, Federation cadet Rio Roots was flying in a Wyvern in space in a practice drill when alarms in his aircraft indicated he was being fired upon by simulated fire. Cadet Roots, however, felt that this was just—if only he was hit in a heavily armored unit—that he would clearly survive and then maneuver his craft behind his instructor. And simulated that he shot down as the instructor's craft. He then accelerated her way in the vast darkness of space, saying, I'm not going to lose to anyone. On the moon, Roots was called into his commanding officer's office. He was berated for his lack of respect for the chain of command. Internally, he thought that this officer, being an earthnoid, is a part of society that makes rules that do not have any bearing on him since he was born on Side 7. The officer continued to outline Root's record, including six counts of disobeying an officer, two counts of fighting, nine counts of disobeying orders, and 14 counts of misbehavior. If it wasn't for this notion, especially as it was coming from an earthloid, he was so incredibly confident in his ability and was driven to get his wings as a mobile suit pilot and then would leave. The commander then threw an envelope to Root's. The cadet, asked what it was and was told it was transferred papers to an experimental mobile suit unit. The cadet was visibly upset and wanted to go to the front lines. After the hot-headed cadet left the office, the commander asked loud, why would they want this man anyway? Meanwhile, back on Earth, in a Federation primary training base in California, Josh Offshore was fencing and hit his opponent with a fencing foil and won the match. Despite the fact that fencing was not required for training, He felt it had, in fact, a special charm. He thought it was a duel between men and that was a style more fitting for a warrior. Joff Offshore was a member of the Offshore Dynasty, with his whole life being meticulously groomed for political life. His father was a member of the Earth Federation Assembly. Joining the Federation served as a stepping stone for him to eventually become a Federation representative. Josh and the unnamed officer went on to discuss their future posts saying that the assignments would be listed the next day. Further discussion continued when Josh mentioned he applied for the Instructor Corps. His sparring partner asked if he was sure about doing that. Somehow, Josh felt that this would offer a new experience to him. In another base in the Federation, the Student Council President called Eaton Heathrow to the podium at a highly respected Federation Force Military School. Brian. Aino was there, who was the principal of the school, along with other top Federation force officers. His thick eyebrow, hooked nose, gave the impression of a grizzled veteran. He was actually there, in charge of the Principality of Zion's surrender at side three after the one-year war. He had no love for war, but did what he did out of a sense of duty. Principal Aino stood before Heathrow and congratulated the Major, impressed of the officer he'd become since he knew him back as a bird-brained lieutenant years ago when they served together in the battleship Bull Run. After receiving his diploma, he stepped away from the podium feeling his life was set and its future bright. At the same time, three green colored hyzaks were flying in formation through space towards the giant rock peasant in outer space. These units were based on the Zeon-manufactured Zaku, but were in fact manufactured by the Earth Federation forces. Squadron leader Lieutenant Brave Cod spun his mobile suit towards Peasant, which was a secret development facility by the Zeon for the One Year War. After the One Year War was over, the Federation acquired the base and was able to get their hands on the mobile suit technology created there. Cod requested permission to land his combat space patrol, but grumbled to himself, what was the point of a combat space control if there's no enemy? He set his integrated maneuver propulsion controls, which actually had four basic functions including cruising, space combat, landing, and walking, and set his unit to landing mode. After he left his mobile suit, he spoke to one of the maintenance crew on present about a no mobile suit he noted in the Mobile Suit Bay. He asked the tech if the suit was based off a of Xeon design. The technician, in fact, said, only partially, but was mostly based on a new design. Cod had wondered if this suit was manufactured by Anaheim Electronics, a company that acquired the Ziana Company, who were the primary manufacturers of Zeon mobile suits during the One Year War. The technician told Cod that, in fact, the unit is based on something called the X-Series, which is partially based on the Ziana's next-generation mobile suit. The first unit was named the Zeku-Eins, it was at this moment he found out that his tour would be extended on Pezen by the outgoing commander as part of the instructor corps and be setting up a new base of operations there. To make up for this extension in his duty, Commander Pod had also informed him we'd get to use the newly created Zeku eins. Meanwhile, at a secret base, Two middle-aged technicians talked with a doctor by the name of Dr. Carl to inform him of completing a list with the assistance of other departments for potential Sheshire cats. He looked at the list and was surprised to see the name of Maithroot's son on it. She was a technician who sacrificed a great deal, including raising her family, and ultimately sacrificed even her own life to protect the system. The computer system known as the system was being developed by the Federation to compensate for the loss of pilots during the one-year war. It was built upon the IMPC and possessed artificial intelligence. The system was officially known as the Advanced Logistic and in consequence, Cognizing Equipment, or ALICE for short. It was designed to be connected to the onboard learning computer system of a mobile suit, such as the one found in the RX-78, and would analyze all potential situations in combat to be able to determine tactile decisions independently. Dr. Carl envisioned a point where mobile suits could fight without actually a pilot even on board. For that to happen, Dr. Carl felt that the pilot would have to serve as a brother, a friend, or even a lover throughout its development and needed a man who didn't play by the rules to serve as guide for Alice. Thus, the candidate pilots were named Cheshire cats. He ultimately felt that she, since Alice was programmed with a female personality, would marry the pilot and would evolve into a true Valkyrie, which would carry the souls of fallen warriors to Valhalla. Despite the lofty goals, the Alice project had not received widespread support within the Federation. It also suffered from setbacks, including an explosion, which was felt to be possibly sabotaged, but could not ultimately be proven. Moreover, troublemakers from within the Earth Federation forces were brought to this base, and twelve men stood in line at the hangar. Two men were yelling at each other, and a drill sergeant had to separate them and discipline them like Bright Noah would. After the sergeant had separated them, they were ordered to state their names. Ryu Roots said one. Shin Crypt the other. The sergeant then yelled and cursed at them to know that this base was in fact a madhouse, in fact, actually, the initials or acronym MS did not stand for mobile suit at all, but for MAD Sanitarium. The only reason why they were even here was that they were psychos and were useless to the regular military. He then ordered them to fall in line. The military police then grabbed Crips and Roots and placed them into solitary confinement for three days. The remaining soldiers were dismissed. Dr. Carl was disheartened that Alice would be handed to these pilots. He was particularly concerned with Mace Root's son, who was among this group. His father died during the One Year War, and his mother died during the explosion. Dr. Carl was concerned that Ryu would feel that the Federation was responsible for the death of his parents. He thought it looks like Alice's future would be filled with obstacles. So, at this point, what would a Gundam podcast be without talking about actual Mobile Suits? So, we're going to talk about some of the Mobile Suits that are featured in this particular IP, and we'll cover the Ziku Ins, which is codenamed RMS-141, served as a progenitor of the X-Series that we talked about earlier in the talkback. The head height was at 19.2 meters, the base weight was 37.63 tons and it came in three general configurations. The full weight of these varied from as low as 72.5 tons to as much as 87.3 tons. It was powered by a Mnowski ultra-compact fusion reactor with a generator output of 2,100 kilowatts. The armor was based off of Gundarium alloy composite with a total thrust of 15,000 kilograms, in 2 thrusters and 14,500 kilograms in 4 extra thrusters. It had 10 control verniers, a maximum acceleration of 1.21 g's, and an effective sensor range of 15,000 meters. The RMS-141 was a mass-produced general was designed at the Peasant asteroid complex. It was created from data from Xian engineers and then served it as the basis of the X-Series, which would later be used by the Palace of the Instructor Corps. These veteran officers would become a faction of the Titans and during the Peasant Rebellion, the Splinter Group would become the Ludicides, which we'll talk about in a later episode. The head of the mole suit appears to be almost bird like an even more elongated or exaggerated version of our side, RMS-108. There are two circular appearing sensors over the amano eye which appear to have been influenced by its Xeon heritage. The asymmetrical design of the shoulder node on the Mars Marasai were replaced with more symmetrical units, without spikes or shoulder shields like on the Zaku. The cockpit is in the center torso, accessible by a red hatch. Zeku one produced enough power from a larger generator, which allowed it to power multiple different weapon systems. This module design allowed for a general mobile pursuit, such as the Zeku Ins to extend its mission profiles. The Type 1 had two external propellant tanks attached to either shoulder, along with a beam rifle with attached grenade launchers underneath. The beam rifle is powered by a rechargeable energy cap. It also carried up to four beam sabers with a maximum output of 0.9 megawatts. The Type 2 is meant for a long range assault. It possesses a long-range beam smart gun with a disc ray dome mounted on its left shoulder. It also has a shield mounted where the two propellant tanks of Type 1 are on either shoulder or both shoulders. Type 3 is a heavy assault class meant for attacking or defending bases. It possesses a 120mm machine gun with 6,000 rounds of ammunition mounted on either a large drum fed by a belt attached to either shoulder. Optional weapons include a Stormfaust, which is essentially an unguided single use rocket power grenade attached to a tube. They also can carry clay bazookas similar to the RMS 099 or Rick Diaz from the Grips War of Zeta Gundam. It also can carry two missile pods on either shoulder, replacing the drum kit of Type 3 and carries three mid range missiles per pod. Now we'll go over the Wyvern which was also featured in this episode. It is a Federation-built spacecraft with a length of 15 meters, a wingspan of 9.5 meters, a base weight of 15.3 tons, and a full weight of 20 tons. And it had an armor based base on the Gundarium gamma alloy composite. Propulsion was provided by rocket thrusters with uh, 10,500 kilograms in two, with a maximum acceleration of 1.05 G's. Served as a space fighter able to fly in the atmosphere and also in space. The front fuselage is based on the core fighter system that you've seen in the original Gundam series and possesses a delta wing frame which resembles the wave rider form, or rather wave rider form a bit of a tongue to serve the Zeta Gundam and Zeta Plus which serves as an ideal trainer craft for mobile Suit piles who will go on to use these transformable suits. I think at this point, I think it's a good time to now talk a little bit about the analysis of this prologue for the whole book. It sets the various themes, introduces the myriad of major characters that'll be featured in this side story. It's set in between the events featured in Gundam 0083 Stardust Memory and the Grips War depicted in Zeta Gundam. The novel was written by Masaya Takahashi, and is entitled Gundam Sentinel, Alice's Confession. Takahashi would go on to be the CGI designer of Blade Phantom Master, the 3D character designer of the Pokemon Destiny Deoxys movie, and co-director of Tokyo Ghoul. One of the things that grabbed my attention about the series, as I've probably talked about before, was that the characters were actual soldiers. There were no teenagers caught up in the wars held true. It is one of the first gun stories in the universal century to not feature new types. The mobile suits were merely tools or weapons to use in the battlefield. To, least, to me, Hajime Katoki made the mobile suits appear to be more realistic or credible. More militaristic feel. The Zeku Eins is an exa- excellent example of this. I'll talk a little bit about more about its features, but on first blush, you can see a lot of the Republic of Xi'an made Zaku II, along with the Titans' manufactured Marasai in it. However, the different weapons loadout image seen in the Gundam Wars 3 book looks incredibly detailed and realistic. You can see it has various loadouts available for various mission parameters. So, talking about the Gundam Center novel itself, clearly the writer was influenced by Lewis Carroll's famous 1865 masterpiece, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Several themes or plot devices were clearly taken from the seminal work. For one, the artificial intelligence created be more prominently featured in upcoming chapters is named Alice and is given a female personality. Also, the candidates felt to be potential pilots able to properly harness and unleash Alice were all male pilots. They were named Cheshire Cats by the scientists and technicians running this project. They envisioned that the Cheshire Cat would provide challenges to Alice in order for it to completely develop and serve as a guide. There have been some have, in fact, interpreted the Cheshire Cat with his very large grin. Cheshire Cat's that mobile suit, in fact, or MS rather, stood for a mad sanitarium as even a further allusion to Alice in Wonderland. I'll have on Twitter, on uh, my account, uh, at Gundam Sentinel 2, Uh, pictures of the units featured, and also some of the characters that are introduced uh, that you can check out anytime you'd like. On next episode of Gundam Sentinel Podcast, we will actually go into Chapter 1, titled Revolt and Peasant. We will cover the end of the Grips War, or the end of the Zeta Gundam, which, by the way, if you've not watched yet, is definitely a spoiler. We'll also talk about the formation of the Alpha Task Force and path towards its faded encounter with the decides. Also, we'll talk about the historical connection with the Nudicides in a famous part of Japanese history. I hope you can check it out next time on Gundam Sentinel podcast.